Welcome to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I'm a master certified self-image coach and empowered health coach with a decade-long background working in the health and wellness industry. If you're anything like me or the clients that I work with, then you're probably struggling with body image, self-image, or confidence issues. You're probably also trying to figure out why it is that you have these amazing desires for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life, but you can't seem to create consistent actions in your life to reflect those desires. So join me as we dive in deep on what it means to live a fulfilled and authentic life. We're going to look from the perspective of an empowered mindset and uncover reasons why you might be what's holding yourself back from living your most fulfilling life. I'm going to break through some of the biggest illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way. And I'm so excited to have you with me on this journey. So my only question for you is, are you ready to start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. You all will have to uh, forgive me a bit this week. I'm feeling quite under the weather. I'm actually right now waiting for test results to come back from a COVID test because my in-home COVID test showed up positive, so I had to go get um, a PCR test done. So fairly certain um, I have COVID, and I didn't want to miss out on giving you all this episode this week, so I'm, I'm going to uh, record this for you all, get this out there, because I think this message is so important, but just bear with me this week. Um, I might mix up my words, talk a little bit slow, or sound a bit funny, uh, just not not feeling so great this week. So for those of you who follow me on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, you know the topic this week. We're talking about conflict. And the topic of conflict is is quite huge. And we could talk about conflict resolution. We could talk about um, conflict strategies and styles. There are so many different ways that we could approach talking about conflict. So this week, when I wanted to approach um, this topic, I, I asked a few people what would benefit them best um, in learning about conflict and gave a few options. And so I decided on following the path of showing you guys how, even though for most of us, uh, we've been taught to see conflict as something that is maybe either judgmental or violent or uh, very negative or resistant um, and something that we should avoid, that it's actually something quite positive that helps us in our relationships and is actually necessary to grow and deepen healthy relationships. So that's what I want to talk with you all about today. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, um, starting with talking about why is it, why is it that we fear conflict so much? Um, and I think that there are several reasons. One of the reasons being that we have a deeply programmed biological design to be social beings. And what I mean by that is our brain is actually evolved to see not being connected, not being part of a group as being dangerous or uh, a possibility of death. And so in our very DNA, in the very way that our brain is programmed to work, um, conflict can feel very dangerous from that perspective because conflict 
could possibly mean that you might get kicked out of the group or, um, you know, not receive help from the group. And, and to the brain, this feels dangerous. Now, I want to clarify, this doesn't mean that we need to get rid of that programming. Uh, we just need to be aware of the fact that that programming is there because most of us are not. And when we're kids, we're very not aware of the fact that our brain has this programming. We're not taught about it. And this can lead to some very destructive patterns in the way that we handle our relationships with other people. And one of the destructive ways that this can show up is how we view and handle conflict. So yes, conflict doesn't feel comfortable for the vast majority of people. So what is conflict exactly? I know for a lot of us, we have this, like I said, this very um, maybe sort of aggressive, violent, resistant, um, maybe passive aggressive way of looking at conflict, a very negative view of it. But conflict as a circumstance this is not me saying what you're describing if you have one of these models of conflict is your experience of conflict. And I'm not trying to say that that experience is not true for you, but the definition of conflict, what conflict is as a circumstance, is simply a difference that prevents agreement or a disagreement between ideas or feelings. So conflict is not something that we can avoid in life. It will always be present and Today, I want to talk about that, and not only that it will always be present and that we don't want to try and avoid it, but also that there's a reason why we want, we actually want conflict in our relationships. And I know some of you are like, no, I don't want conflict in my relationships, but I'm hoping after today's episode, you'll start to begin to see why conflict is actually a very important and healthy part of all relationships, especially when we want them to grow and deepen. So some of you may have the question, if conflict is something that we would want in all of our relationships, then why does it feel so uncomfortable for us? Why does it seem that the source of relationships ending more often than not is conflict? So let's first address the reasons why conflict is so uncomfortable for the majority of people. And it goes back to the programming that I already spoke about, as well as another huge reason. But let's look at this programming first and get clear on understanding that a little bit deeper. So as I said already, your brain is hardwired to want to be part of a quote-unquote group or community. Um, humans are social animals, and over the millions of years that we've been on this planet, humans have evolved to prioritize being part of a group, and prioritize that as meaning that that's a sign of safety, a sign of survival, a sign of being taken care of, and that being kicked out of the group meant no one would help you or care for you um, if you were injured or sick, and no one would make sure that you had food or shelter or to help with protecting from animals or other natural disasters. So to our brains, they are hardwired for seeking being connected to other human beings, and it is deeply ingrained. And this isn't a bad thing. However... Um, you know, today this becomes a, a bit of a problem because we, we don't have this issue anymore of being kicked out of the group means that we're in danger of dying. If you get kicked out of one group, there are billions of other on this planet. So yeah, we have this biological design and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we need to become aware of it and we need to become aware of how it may cause us to become reactive in certain situations. And that awareness is enough in and of itself to help us create that distance between the feelings that we have when we feel in danger of being kicked out of a group and our response to it. So we even have neurotransmitters in our brain that are designed to respond to human touch and human connection. This is how important it is to the brain. So like I said, if we don't know this, 
And if we're not aware of that and we don't actively use our brain as a tool for us, it will use us as its tool for its purposes, which means that it will seek connection at all costs, even if it means abandoning yourself and abandoning your own self-worth. So as I said, this was a very helpful trait for us millions of years ago when there were not so many people on the planet yet. And when being cast out of a group meant that you were very unlikely to survive or not for long, not for long, at least. So we need to recognize this and recognize that today our brains are wired the same way, but people are everywhere now. And being cast out of a social group no longer spells the danger of death for us. But to our brain, this threat is still all too real. And having this awareness is powerful. Most of us are very unaware of this, though. And therefore, our responses to things like rejection or um, the danger of feeling out of control of being in a group, uh, this can feel very reactive to us. Fear of abandonment can become this overwhelming and even crippling feeling for some people because they don't, they don't understand where exactly it's coming from. Um, and for a lot of people, they might even be told, like, there's something wrong with you. But there's not anything wrong with you. If, you. if you have this crippling fear, what it means is that your brain has evolved to do exactly what it was designed to do. But like I said, if we don't learn to manage the mind and use it as a tool for us, it will use us. And this is where we get that crippling feeling that, of that abandonment that becomes so overwhelming and we become reactive to it is because we're not aware of the wiring of our brain. So understanding the brain's wiring for this helps to make sense of these strong emotions that may come up when we fear possible rejection or abandonment. And understanding emotions can help us lean in instead of becoming overwhelmed when the fear arises, along with the host of other emotions that it can bring alongside of it for the ride. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with conflict? Well, in conflict, we have two people or maybe two groups of people or one person and a group of people. Um, and they have two different truths in their experience of life. And when the other person or group is someone that you are in a closer relationship with, or even in a business relationship with, or in a relationship in which collaboration is desired or important, and conflict arises, that human nature to see possible rejection and abandonment as being equal to possibility of death or a lack of safety it can become very confusing and messy if we don't understand where that's coming from. And for many people, we develop coping styles when we face conflict in these kind of relationships, and we develop them very early on in life when we're kids when we don't understand this, and we carry it over into our adulthood. And this brings about the second reason why conflict feels so uncomfortable. And it grows out of the first reason. See, our learned coping strategies when it comes to conflict are programmed very early on in life, but we develop these strategies during a time when we do not understand conflict. We don't understand emotional responsibility. We don't understand emotional management, how our brains are wired, um, and what all of this really means when our emotions arise and when we're faced with conflict. And for many of us, we're even often taught a model of conflict that reinforces some of those very dysfunctional and reactive beliefs and behaviors when we face conflict. Most of us learn our coping strategy at home from parents. Some strategies we might learn from TV or from friends at school or from watching other adults model their coping strategies when it comes to conflict. But the truth is that for a lot of us, our models of how to see and cope with conflict were not based in emotional responsibility. 
Most models that we learn at a very young age are steeped in emotional reactivity and avoidance tactics or aggression. And this means that unless we have been through counseling or therapy as an adult to address this, or done inner work on ourselves to address this, then these coping strategies that we learned when we were kids will continue to be unconsciously repeated into our adulthood as well. And they stem out into our close friendships, professional relationships, and in our romantic relationships. For a lot of us as as kids, we had parents model for us what conflict means and what to do in situations of conflict. For some, it was seeing parents avoid conflict at all costs and trying to appease the other person even when something was bothering them and they would just bite their tongue, keep their head down, not react. And as kids, we pick up on this. I know that parents think that they're hiding it from their kids, but kids pick up on this. And we pick up on this. We see this when we're kids and we we are subconsciously taking in programming of this is how we deal with conflict. Try not to rock the boat. For some of us, it was quite the opposite. And parents would move into conflict with reactivity, outbursts of emotions and words, and maybe even verbal or physical violence with one another. Some of these conflicts would end up with parents retreating or might end up with both parents no longer speaking. And for some, it may have even ended in parents divorcing. And as kids, we associate so much to seeing these models of conflict play out. And we carry that into adulthood if we are not aware of it, and we do not do or take the time to look at these beliefs, look at where they came from, and try to take the time to understand them and heal the areas of where we have misunderstood conflict through our experience and through our lens of conflict versus the actual circumstance of conflict. Some children were raised in homes where parents were very loud um, and had confrontations of conflict in which verbal violence was used, and where shame, blame, and manipulation tactics were used to try and force one partner or the other in the conflict to give up, apologize, or retreat. Some of us observed parents being very passive-aggressive in how they treated each other due to conflict that was unresolved and was never brought out into the open, and we took on to us that that meant, okay, when conflict arises, we just hold it in and hope it goes away and takes care of itself. We don't say anything about it. We don't recognize that we pick up on this stuff when we're kids, and then as adults, we continue to react to conflict in these ways. So many of us were even taught that when conflict arises, we just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Some of us were even taught when it was us having conflict with something with our parents, we were taught to maybe see um, speaking out about the conflict as being either rude or disrespectful or mean or wrong to openly talk about our conflicts. We were taught to keep it to ourselves and keep our heads down. Oftentimes, when we failed to do so, there may have even been like a punishment that came along with it. Um, and this often triggers the response of the mind that we are in danger of being kicked out of the group of the family and that our own safety and our very lives may be in danger. And we carry that trauma with us into our adulthood. And my friends, I know that we, you know, we don't pay attention to this. We've been taught to kind of overlook it and not pay attention to it. But this is very traumatic for a child to experience and to not understand and to go through and to try and process on their own. And if we're not offered um, proper coping mechanisms, we will develop our own coping mechanisms. And kids are very creative in how they will come up with coping mechanisms to deal with stuff like this. Sometimes when when we would speak out about conflict and be punished, the punishment for speaking out about conflict 
may have even been met with physical or verbal violence. And this was designed to scare us into silence again. But what we need to understand is that these models of conflict that we were taught when we were kids are not harmless to us. They get carried into our adulthood. We use them still in our adulthood. They, they don't not affect us. And we do a huge disservice to us to not look back at our childhood and observe the ways that we had conflict modeled for us and the ways that we learned to cope with conflict as a kid so that we can see why it is maybe that we are coping with conflict in the way that we're doing it now as an adult and why it may seem so reactive or unproductive for us. So the varying models of how we observed conflict and were outright told maybe that we should or should not what we should or should not do in the face of conflict, those experiences can be so vast. And the coping mechanisms that we can develop can be so vast. But the truth is that for so many of us, our model of conflict was a dysfunctional one that taught us that conflict was either dangerous, scary, destructive, or even evil. And this means that we carry that model of conflict into our adult lives, and we still relive it every time we face conflict in close relationships with family, friends, colleagues, bosses, and our romantic partners. But what I want to say is this isn't something to necessarily fear that we are doing this. Because as I said earlier, awareness of these strategies and where they come from is already a huge and powerful tool that we can use to begin to create a healthier and more productive relationship with conflict. The issue that many of us face is that when we are completely unaware of how or why we react to the ways we do to conflict in our present relationships, then we keep repeating it and it becomes very dysfunctional and very destructive in our lives and in our relationships. So now that we have an understanding of why conflict can feel so uncomfortable for most of us, let's look at the question of why is it that conflict is something that we want in our relationships, okay? Because, yeah, I told you all earlier at the beginning of this episode that what I want to teach you all is that conflict, even though our models of it may cause us to think that we want to avoid it or um, that when we go into conflict that it's all about reactivity and aggression and that this is actually destructive, why is it that we would want it in our relationships? So conflict, if you remember the definition, is simply about disagreement or difference. And I think that because most of us have also been taught um, and have been living in this model of the world in which other people cause our feelings, and we live in a constant state of victimhood and emotional reactivity instead of living in a model of the world where we are empowered, we are the ones that create our emotions and our feelings, and we have emotional responsibility. Because we're living in this other model where we are in victimhood and emotionally reactive, we believe that looking at disagreement or differences means that outcome will inevitably be that someone is better, someone is more right, and therefore someone is worse or wrong by comparison. We haven't been taught to embrace differences and see that holding two conflicting beliefs and being present with them is not a bad thing. It's actually what provides us with the opportunity to deepen and grow in our experience of this life as a human. But when we couple this belief that disagreement means that someone has to be right, someone has to be wrong, someone has to be better, someone has to be worse, when we couple that with our biological design to fear the possibility of of judgment, disconnection, and rejection, and we add in the models of conflict that we were exposed to as children, and then we add in our ways of coping with those models of conflict and how that carried into our adulthood 
and we pair all of that with this lack of awareness of what is really going on, then it truly feels like conflict and leaning into conversations about difference and disagreement would be somewhat of, uh, some people would say it looks like a death sentence. But let's look at the reality of this here. So conflict arises simply because we have two unique people with two unique experiences of the world. And they're coming together, getting to know one another, either for the purpose of romance, business, friendship, collaboration, whatever it may be. But especially when we're talking about relationships of deep friendship or romance, we are unique people trying to connect with another person on a deeper level. And as this happens, we will each have our own unique experiences of the world that might clash with the other person's unique experience of the world. What we have been taught is when this happens, we avoid it or label it as bad and run or we attack. But what if there's another way that actually turns conflict into a way to deepen external relationships from person to person and at the same time, deepen our internal relationship that we have with ourselves? This happens when we lean into conflict and see it as an opportunity to create understanding. It happens when we see conflict as an opportunity to be open, vulnerable, and completely ourselves, and allow ourselves to be fully known in that relationship. And at the same time, when we do that, we allow the other person to show up in the relationship as fully them, and we get to fully see them. And I want to dive into that a little bit deeper, but before I do, I want to talk about some conflict strategies that... A lot of us may have developed, uh, or maybe a combination of them. So there are some conflict strategies that are quite common in people, and how they show up can be a little bit different, but I just kind of want to go over these and discuss what it might look like when we try to lean in and understand and respond to conflict instead of reacting to conflict. So when you first try this, you might notice that you will fall into one of two camps as far as conflict strategies what your what your desire is to do immediately when you face conflict. And within these two camps, we can kind of divide it further into two groups in each camp. So camp number one, we have chasing. People who fall in this camp can be further divided into two particular strategies, um, and there are reasons for each. So strategy one is to cling or run after the other person in conflict. Typically, people who adopt this strategy really feel unsafe when it comes to being abandoned or left. Maybe they were a child of divorce. Maybe their parents left them when they were young. Uh, they were put up for adoption. Maybe um, they had a series of people leaving them when they were a kid. They have deep wounds surrounding this. And when conflict arises, the person fears that the other person will leave them. So... They want to immediately try talking things out and solving things and smoothing things over and making sure everything is okay as fast as possible so that they don't have to fear being left. People who adopt the strategy can come across as very clingy, very needy, sometimes even overbearing when in conflict, um, and they're in fear of the conversation stopping because to them, space and the conversation stopping or time apart is a sign that the other person is about to leave them or abandon them. So the other strategy in this chasing, we call it, um, I'm going to call it peacocking, or we can also call it attacking. So someone who adopts this strategy also is seeking to feel connected, but they fear being vulnerable. 
So instead of, you know, trying to talk things out or uh, trying to get to the bottom of it and get to make sure the other person feels okay and will continue talking to them, they'll slip straight into blaming or attacking the other person or maybe even trying to manipulate the other person into feeling guilty enough that they apologize so that they feel better that the person isn't going to leave them. Someone with this strategy will maybe try to argue or maybe try to prove that they're right in hopes that the other person will submit, apologize, and come back. But a lot of times with this strategy, the person is actually guarding themselves against the very feeling of connection that they want to feel. The guard is up and they are completely in defense, which a lot of times is intimidating or scary to people around them in conflict. And it may trigger people with a different conflict strategy style to flee from the situation. And since this is the exact opposite of what the person who has adopted the strategy style of peacocking or attacking wants... If the other person flees, this may cause the fear of disconnection and abandonment to intensify, and the person may even double down on their aggressiveness, on their attack, on their words, maybe even might become physically violent because they're so afraid of the person leaving them. So these are the two strategies under the camp of chasing. So camp number two, we have fleeing, and this can also be broken down into two strategies. Strategy number one is folding or caving in, so you flee internally. The person who adopts this strategy will often immediately jump into self-blame when in conflict. They will become extremely critical of themselves, judge themselves as being entirely at fault for the conflict, and people who adopt this strategy will literally collapse inside of themselves and close off in the conflict. It's like they just shut down is the best way to describe this strategy. Um, the second strategy here is fleeing, uh, or in the fleeing is to avoid. So people who adopt this strategy will oftentimes just disconnect and move away at the first sign of conflict. So think of someone who, in the face of conflict, might run to their office um, or start working or go to their room and close the door or ask to stop the conversation or go start watching television. Or they might go read a book or go to run errands or go for a run or go to the gym. Basically, people that adopt this strategy will just do anything to get away from the person who's they're having conflict with and to be alone. Um... And what's interesting is that people who adopt this strategy, they know that what they want is the relationship, but they feel like being alone feels easier for them. So in the face of conflict, their strategy is just to get alone and stay alone until the conflict disappears. So all of these strategies, as you can see, when we deal with conflict in these, these ways, they're very reactive. And they're reactive in how we're seeking validation of something that we feel we're missing um, or reactively in, in fleeing to avoid something that we believe will harm us. And we do this, again, because of the biological design of the brain as one part, but also because of the model of conflict that we have perceived and programmed into our own minds from when we were kids, what we observed and how we learned to cope with conflict as a kid. Again, remember, most of us, our model of conflict is one of danger, aggression, and even violence. And so we see conflict as being very unhealthy, as something that will destroy relationships or damage the, the well-being or, or safety of the relationship. But what I want to say is that conflict is not only a healthy part of relationships that are growing, it is necessary for those relationships to grow and deepen. And I want to talk about that now. Why is it exactly that conflict is not only part of a healthy relationship that's growing, but it's also necessary? You see, we all enter relationships with our unique experiences of the world. I mentioned that a bit earlier. 
And we see conflict as meaning that there is maybe something wrong with one or both of those experiences. And therefore, we might avoid the conflict because we think that this means that we will either have to hurt one or both of the people in the relationship by looking at the two unique and different opposing experiences. And this is, again, because we believe that if we look at them, that someone will have to be wrong and have to change in order to be worthy of continuing and to be accepted as a person in this relationship. This is the model of conflict that most of us know. This is the model of worth that most of us are familiar with. And this is the model of the world that most of us live by, that there is a right and a wrong experience of the world. And the goal is to find the right one and rid the world of the wrong ones, or at least rid your life of the wrong ones. But here's the thing. This this isn't true. We all have our unique experiences, and we have to understand how those experiences come about how we perceive the world, how um, our bodies are, are able to perceive the world. So let's look at conflict and how it can occur in a way where it's not dangerous, where it's not full of judgment. Um, it's not about proving who is right. Um, and where conflict is actually a catalyst of healthy growth and intimacy in any relationship. And first of all, I'm going to ask that you remember that conflict is coming up again because two people or groups of people in a relationship with one another just have differing experiences of life in one or more areas. And this is normal. It is how the human experiences work. Where fear and judgment step in is when we believe that one of these experiences is right and one is wrong. And I know that this is the model of the world that we've been programmed so deeply by society to believe in. But I want you to look at this a bit differently to help you see something here. When we talk about conflict, we are talking about experience. We're talking about two unique people having two unique experiences. Conflict happens because of differing experiences, not differing realities. You might be a little bit confused, so let me explain. Okay, so for instance, my siblings and I, we experienced a lot of the same realities together. But from those realities, we all took our own unique perceptions of them, which created our experience of those events and circumstances. Now, none of us were right about our experience, but also none of us were wrong. And you have to kind of understand the way that the body and the mind work in when we're perceiving situations. The mind is not able to perceive reality as it actually is. And I know that this kind of freaks some of you out here, so just, just stick with me here. Um, so you have to understand that there's just simply too much data to perceive all at once of reality. And we have previous experiences that create lenses through which we experience current circumstances, as well as the fact that the brain is not able to take in all of the data of what is happening around you at once. It's, it's simply just, it's too much information for the brain to take in. So the reality is that we experience life in, in a very filtered way. So it's a very filtered reality at all points in time, which means that two people can be involved in the same exact circumstance and take two completely different experiences from that. And this is where so many people get confused. And I want you to imagine, okay, so we're all born. And when we're born, 
we're not given an owner's manual of life. It's not like when we come out of the womb, we have this like book that we read in the womb where we know, okay, when I come out, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and be ready for this. And this is how I perceive this. And no, we come out and we immediately, our bodies start taking in stimulus and we have no guide of how to perceive that stimulus, what it means. And all we want is to feel safe and connected. And we do whatever we can to try and create that feeling. And from that moment until right now while you're alive, your body has been taking in information, perceiving it, creating ideas about the world, creating memories about the world that are filtered. Because you have to imagine at all points in time, there are billions and billions of pieces of stimulus and information for the brain to take in. But the brain can only possibly perceive maybe 40 or 50 of them at a time. So our brain selects those pieces of information based on what our mind has told it is important to look for. And this is, this is kind of complicated to understand. There is a difference between the mind and the brain. The mind is kind of like our collective experiences and what we take in and how we perceive ourselves and the world and our model of life. And that goes back and kind of tells the brain what it should be looking for in the world around it, what is important, what we're protecting ourselves from, what we're looking for. And the brain goes about looking for it through the lens of the mind. But it also, remember, it's it's taking in billions of pieces of information all at once, and it can only pick about 40 to 50 of them at any moment in time to perceive. So we have to imagine or we have to realize that when we tell stories of the world, of how we believe about it, what we believe happened, that we are talking about our experience of the world, not the realities. So when we have conflict, we are talking about people having different experiences of the world. We're not talking about the circumstances of the world itself. So really, no one in a conflict is 100% right in their way of explaining it, in their way of perceiving it. It would, it would be impossible to be right because we just simply cannot perceive that much data and analyze it in our lifetime. So in conflict, what we have occurring is two people having two experiences of the world that conflict with each other or oppose each other in what reality, quote unquote, is. And this is so important to recognize when entering conflict. It's not about who is right and wrong, because both people are both. They're both right and they're both wrong. So this eliminates the fear of judgment of making one person or group in, in the conflict wrong or bad, because it's not the truth. And when we, when we recognize this, what we can do is we can allow ourselves to open up pathways of curiosity and to lean in. You see, if the other person is not telling us that we are wrong because their experience is different than ours, and they're not telling us that they're right and we're wrong, and all they're telling us is how they experience or experienced or perceived the world, then we can activate one, this, this, this powerful emotion of curiosity. And alongside it, we can bring in compassion and understanding, and we can enter into a conversation of conflict that is open, that is constructive, and that is about curiosity. Instead of approaching conflict with swords drawn about who's right and who's wrong, who will win, who will lose, um, we enter conflict as equals. We are curious of each other and our experiences of the world. How has this other person 
come to perceive the world in the way that they do? How is it that they have created their model of the world and it's so different than yours? We can be curious about it here because we recognize it's not because my model is wrong. That's not why their model is different. Or it's not because my model is right and theirs is wrong. It's just fascinating that we both have had such unique experiences and we can lean into conflict as being a conversation of equals who are curious of one another. And this creates a whole new dynamic when it comes to conflict, one that is not steeped in aggression, judgment, violence, or closing off truths, but instead it's one that's steeped in curiosity, openness, vulnerability, compassion, understanding, and expansiveness. So what do I mean when I I talk about either closing off truths versus expansiveness? You see, most of us who either flee or fight in the face of conflict, it is because we believe that only one truth can leave the arena, quote-unquote, of conflict alive. So this means that one of the truths must leave defeated, shut down, and closed off. But remember that we are talking about experience here, and everyone's experience is true for them. And when we enter into conflict with this openness, this acceptance, this understanding and compassion, we open up the opportunity for truth to expand instead of close down. We allow for everyone in the conflict to have their truth and be with it. Allow everyone to see their truth of their experience while at the same time opening ourselves to how other people or another person in conflict with us might have a different experience that is true for them. And we try to find a lens to look through that allows us to somehow get closer to seeing their truth by asking questions, by being curious versus just trying to be like, no, 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 you're wrong and I'm right. And this doesn't mean that, I want to be clear here also, this doesn't mean that we have to agree with the truth of the other person or want to make it ours, but we can see that truth could be perceived in the realm of human experience in different ways in this in this conversation and how it must feel as a human to have that truth this uh, the truth that this other person is having of their experience of the world that is the point here and with that we can offer compassion and understanding and curiosity but we don't necessarily have to that doesn't mean that we have to agree with it or make it our own belief we can just simply we could even say in conflict hey listen I have a feeling that I'm going to disagree with you on your belief here, but I want to understand. I want to I want to know more about how it is that you arrived at this conclusion. Why why is it that you believe this about the world? What was your experience? What was that like? How does it feel for you to believe this about the world? And instead of it being like, no, 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 either I'm right or you're wrong and we need to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And then other times we may actually, after asking questions and getting curious about the other person's truth, we may actually decide that we want to expand or change our truth to accommodate for this newly perceived truth that we've learned from the other person. In either case, though, growth, connection, understanding, and depth happen in this relationship through this way of moving into conflict versus avoiding it. And I know some of you may be thinking that maybe you're just okay with having your relationship staying on a surface level and not growing and deepening them. And I want to say that This is a choice you can make, and it is a valid choice, but I want you to recognize something here about this choice. First of all, that it is a choice you're making. It's not the truth. It's just a choice you're making, and I want you to own that. I want you to know that, because with all choices come a consequence, and this is why it's important to recognize you're making a choice here, because making this choice does come at a consequence or a price. 
You see, when we decide to enter into relationships, especially when we're talking about intimate and romantic relationships, and we choose to just say, you know what, it's easier to just leave the relationship surface level and avoid conflict in the relationship, what we are actually choosing to do is to not be known in that relationship and to actually not know the other person, which may sound like it's not that big of an issue. But when we choose that being known in the relationship is not worth it, what we are really doing is telling ourselves that being known isn't worth it because we are sending ourselves a message that our worth is conditional and that if we were fully known, that we would be perceived as less worthy. So we have to keep parts of us hidden. That's the message we're sending to ourselves. And maybe this to you seems harmless on the surface, but I want to encourage you to recognize this is not harmless. This message deepens an already harmful and painful self-image of not being enough, that most of us have been taught to have of ourselves, and that we have to do things and mold ourselves to be acceptable and worthy enough in relationships and um, abandon ourselves. And that if someone isn't able to understand or accept us, that this means that we are not worth being understood or accepted. In other words, we reinforce the popular model that it's more important to seek acceptance than to know for ourselves that we are accepted no matter what. And in this model of acceptability, our acceptance, our worth is conditional upon hiding parts of ourselves that we judge as being unacceptable. So we end up in this model of trying to just keep the relationship surface level and avoid conflict. We end up abandoning ourselves and rejecting ourselves in favor of a conditional external source of validation and acceptance being the relationship, which means that any relationship that we are in, we won't ever fully feel welcome or safe in it because we have told ourselves that it's not possible for us. But the destructive nature of this model doesn't end there. When we create this model and live by it and reinforce it, it doesn't stop with our worth being conditional and our acceptability being conditional. Everyone we enter a relationship with will also, we will perceive them as having conditional worth and acceptance in that relationship. And this is felt in the barriers of, of, of avoiding conflict, which translates to intimacy barriers, where you hide parts of yourself. And you may believe that no one notices this. And I, I just want to say, trust me, it's felt and known in relationships, especially in romantic relationships, when someone is closing off parts of themselves and avoiding intimacy, avoiding vulnerability for fear of conflict, for fear of being fully known and what that might mean. And maybe the other person may have differing um, experiences or beliefs to, to work through. And what this means is that the other person if they accept this model to stay in the relationship, also accepts their conditional worth and will begin hiding parts of themselves from the relationship as well because they fear being fully known. And what I want to say is that after years of this, what you end up with is relationships that are built on silenced frustrations, withheld truths, even lies, and a lot of mistrust. The relationship does not feel safe, nurturing, or fulfilling for either person. And what I want to encourage is that it's not because you're with the wrong person, it's because you're unwilling to accept yourself and your worth unconditionally, and therefore lean into conflict and let yourself be known, and let the other person also lean into conflict and fully be known in the relationship and seen. And when I say let yourself be known, I mean to speak your truth when something is not working for you, 
and owning it and why it's not working for you. Owning your feelings and your model of the world and how it's creating emotions for you in certain situations. Speaking up when something doesn't feel safe, clear, or okay for you. And doing so with emotional responsibility, without blame, without shame, without guilt, and with openness and vulnerability. And most of us avoid this because, again, that model we saw as kids of what happens when we do this is one of destructiveness, one of aggression, one of violence, one of disconnection, one of abandonment. So I want to be clear here that there is a way to enter into conflict that is not following the the model of judgment, violence, aggression, and resistance. And again, this only happens if we remember what conflict is and that it is simply two people having differing experiences of our models of life that are rubbing up against each other, bumping against each other, or even going in opposing directions. And when we remember the truth of the circumstance of conflict being this model of two humans having unique experiences, then we can enter a discussion of conflict in a compassionate, curious, and loving, open way. So some of you may be wondering how we do this. And what I want to say is that if this is something you're struggling with or something you're wanting to go into, what I'm about to say here is not like a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. These are some sort of uh, blanket ways that we can sort of begin to look at conflict and move into it. But what I want to say is that if this is something you're struggling with, your unique experience of conflict and and the solutions that are going to work for you, the words that you're going to use, the way that you're going to enter into conflict and know how to set your boundaries and stick beside them is going to be unique for you. And so I recommend working with a coach or a therapist to find your unique way into this. But we can kind of start to look at there are some steps to this process that when we've done this kind of work, we can start moving into conflict in a healthy way. So first thing is first. It is to know your conflict style, know your triggers and behaviors and understand the patterns in them. Where do they come from? Why do you react the way that you do in conflict? And then you want to own those with understanding and compassion and let the other person or persons in the conflict know about your patterns of conflict and where you might have some difficulties opening up and leaning into conflict. And give them their space to own theirs, to speak theirs too. And this way, when you enter into conflict with the person, both parties in the conflict know if someone freaks out or flees or attacks, they know what it's about, that it's not about the content of the conflict. It's about something else. It's about a model that they're responding to from from past experience. And this allows for it to feel a little bit less threatening and allows for the other person to have more patience, give space, and to be more curious about the conflict versus freaking out and then moving into their pattern of of reactivity and conflict. Which brings me to the second thing that we want to do in conflict, and it is to ask ourselves, in this situation, is the person or group of people that I'm having conflict with reminding me of a past experience of conflict? If so, how did I react then? Is that the way I want to react now? If not... What will I try differently this time to change that response to this conflict? How can I open up to not become reactive and and respond the same way that I did before? And by doing this, you allow yourself to see that if the desire to react in this conflict comes up, you see what you're reacting to is not about this present conflict. It's about a thought, a past memory that you're bringing up in this conflict that is creating an emotional reaction. So you can create some space for that emotion and know that it's welcome 
but it's that the emotion is not about what's actually happening at the present time. It's about a story you're telling yourself. So you can just kind of allow the emotion to be there. Maybe even speak it out loud and say something like, um, right now this conflict is reminding me of XYZ. Or you could just say, um, this is reminding me of a past story in my life and it's bringing up XYZ emotions for me right now. So these emotions are present and I just want you to know that. I want you to know that I'm feeling these emotions and that I'm trying to choose to not react to them, but I am a human and I'm subject to misfires. So just know that if this happens, it's not about what's happening right now. It's about a past story that I'm reacting to. So that's one way that we can sort of start to enter into a healthy way of conflict in which we help the other person to understand what's going on with us and we allow them the space to help us understand what's going on with them. The third thing we want to do in conflicts is to use languages like I feel, not I am, or saying things like a part of me feels. When we do this, we exercise emotional responsibility during this conversation. We don't blame or shame. We don't tell the other person that they're making us feel anything. We can say things like uh, when you say or when you do this, I make it mean this and therefore I feel this or a part of me feels this. And if you can express why you feel that without it being about blame or about being right or wrong or the other person being right or wrong, then we express that during the conflict. Now, I want to say that this step in in conflict resolution requires that we've already done a little bit of work in understanding emotional responsibility, knowing your emotions, where they come from. Um, And I also want to say that this is a part of the process that can, it can feel very messy if you have or have not done this work. So I just want to ask you to exercise patience and compassion and forgiveness during this part of the process for yourself and for the other person. If the other person becomes reactive or you become reactive, you allow yourself to see that that the reaction is not about what's going on right now or about you or the truth of the conflict. It's about stories being told. It's about um, past models of the world coming up and, and fears coming through that. And that currently the ability to cope or understand or process the conflict is, is maybe too much. And it doesn't mean that either person is bad or wrong. There is a level of acceptance that we want to have of allowing the other person to have their experience and allow ourselves to have the experience and to find our way back to a healthy path through the conflict. So I would advise working with um, relationship or relationship coaches or therapists if this is something that you've never worked on before or practiced before and you find yourself in a position like this um, of entering into conflict in an intimate or a romantic relationship and wanting to work through your particular coping strategies and your partner's particular coping strategies and to sort of have this um, unbiased, objective person there to kind of help you all remain objective in your view of what's actually happening. So yes, what I want to make clear here with saying this is that conflict is a way for us to deepen those relationships. And when we choose to move into conflict in a way that is about openness, curiosity, and about um, full expression of ourselves and allowing the other person to express themselves, that we're able to walk away from conflict with our unconditional worth and the other person's unconditional worth in the relationship. And that we're able to deepen and grow that relationship through conflict. And this is exactly what happens when we begin to practice these sort of open, compassionate, curious, and loving um, conflict conversations in our relationships. We begin to cultivate trust. 
We begin to cultivate intimacy, depth, and safety in those relationships. I want you to think about if you have a friend who you can disagree with, and they will just listen to you. They will try to understand you and where you're coming from. If you have a relationship like this, then you you understand what I'm about to say here. But if you don't, just trust me when I tell you, it feels very freeing. You don't have to worry about them finding out about you or not liking something or that something is not fun or comfortable for you. You just get to be you in that relationship and they just get to be them. And this allows the relationship to offer a lot more safety and trust. And in romantic relationships, let's talk about um, with intimacy and sex and vulnerability here. So conflicts help us in this area as well, um, because you th- you have to see when when it comes to intimacy and and sex and even eroticism in a relationship, it's all about expressing fear, pain, and creating feelings of safety, connectedness, and vulnerability, and trust with our partner while we express these things. And we can't do this if we're constantly putting up barriers to our truths to avoid conflict or knowing our differences. It is inevitable when it comes to intimacy and sex with two people, when you've been in a relationship for a while, that you will have differing experiences of sex and intimacy. There will be different ideas of it and how it works, and there will be different insecurities surrounding it, and even fears. And when we close down and don't speak them, we do not allow our partner to understand and to be able to meet us where we are and work with us to create deeper levels of trust and intimacy. And when we feel unsafe and when we attack, we also do not allow the other person to know us and where we feel unsafe and why and allow them to know us fully so that they can know where we are and meet us there and work together with us to create more trust and intimacy. So sex and intimacy is about creating this this beautiful connection between two people. And for a lot of us, we're holding on to truths and putting up invisible walls to intimacy for fear of leaning into conflict. And I know it can feel very uncomfortable in in a sexual relationship to bring up conflict, especially if you're in the middle of sex. But I want to encourage you all to see that this is this is an opportunity and it's a great time to bring it up. It's a great thing to discuss. And in fact, it's a powerful way to create more trust, more intimacy, more um, safety in that relationship when it comes to sex and intimacy. And we can understand this again when we go back to the model of conflict. And we understand what the circumstance of conflict actually is. It's not about our experience and the lens that we see conflict through. That conflict is simply two unique people having two unique experiences of life. And sometimes those experiences will create thoughts and beliefs that don't match or may seem on the surface to completely oppose each other. But here's what's really beautiful about this. When we do this in any relationship, whether it be romantic and intimate or friendships, When we lean into this, differences that at first seem like they might end the relationship or maybe even create more disconnection or more distance, when we get curious about them and use compassion to uh, understand and lean in, we often find that the differences can work together to create something even greater that neither party in the conflict realized before. And then the the relationship evolves into something deeper and richer because of taking the time to constructively lean into conflict when it feels uncomfortable, instead of avoiding it and reacting to it or resisting it. And I want to encourage that this also applies to our work relationships. Now, we may not want to share all of the details of our childhood with our coworkers or bosses, 
in order to help them understand what areas we may be struggling with or what we may be uncomfortable with. But we can use the language of ownership and emotional responsibility to navigate a conversation in a professional way that allows for conflict in the workplace to be constructive and healthy as well and lead to richer and deeper connection on a professional level. And this allows for more productivity and synergy in the workplace. So I'm hoping by now you guys can see that the point of this podcast episode is simply to begin seeing that conflict is not something that we need to fear. Conflict is not something that we need to look at as being something that we walk on eggshells around. That conflict is actually something that we could lean into and get comfortable with and learn to appreciate conflict and actually look forward to conflict and how it's going to deepen our relationships and um, connect us deeper with the people that we are in relationships with. And what I want to say is that there's really, there's so much more that we could talk about when it comes to conflict, such as conflict resolution. Um, But what I want to say is that this is something that is so intricate and unique for every situation. And maybe we can talk about this more in future episodes, but for today... All I want to do all to get from this episode is the importance of getting curious about conflict, releasing the fear surrounding conflict, and starting to look at your model of conflict as being about your experience of conflict and not the circumstance of conflict. Because the circumstance of conflict is simply about two unique people having two unique experiences. And that the circumstance of that doesn't have to be threatening. It can be something that leads to more connection and more trust um, and more deepening in our relationships. And another thing that I, I wanted you all to get from this is that the reason why we feel so uncomfortable with conflict is not because there's something wrong with us, that we have this biological design to be um, a social creature, and that this plays into why we fear conflict so much. And when we can understand that and lean into conflict, we can you know, feel the fear coming up and recognize, hey, that's just my brain being a brain. It's okay. I'm not going to die from feeling fear right now. My brain's just thinking that if I lean into this and this person disagrees with me, that somehow I'm going to be in danger of dying or, um, you know, be unsafe because I'll be disconnected from the group. So those are the main things that I wanted you to take from today is number one, why it is the conflict feels uncomfortable. We have the biological model. We also have the um, experience model, and then why it is that conflict is a healthy thing that we want to lean into in our relationships. So I'm sure you all will have a lot of questions about conflict because, like I said, there's so much here to talk about in so many ways that this is going to apply to everyone's life in its own unique way. This is not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing that you can read a book and find a solution for. So I recommend, if if this sounds like something that you want to look into to, first of all, if you have questions, reach out and ask me your questions. Um, You can contact me on my website via email or message me through social media. All of that's going to be linked in the show notes. Ask your questions. And if this sounds like an area of your life that you would benefit from leaning into and learning more about, I recommend finding a coach, finding a therapist, um, and working on this uh, with the coach, with the therapist. Because this is going to be something that's going to help you, um, like I said, in all of your relationships to deepen them, to create more trust, to create less reactivity and more understanding. For those of you who may already recognize that there's some healing to be done here surrounding maybe your childhood model of conflict, um, and maybe you might know already you want to work with a coach one-on-one, 
um, I would say also feel free to contact me, reach out, and uh, let's see if maybe coaching together would be a good fit uh, to support your needs for support and guidance here. Um, I would love to work with you on this. So just reach out, ask me your questions. If you're curious about leaning into this and doing some work surrounding this and understanding your conflict style, your conflict strategies, where they come from, um, and how your fear of conflict may be holding you back in your relationships and how you can begin to lean in, I am here to work with and help any of you on that. So reach out, okay? Um, That's all I have for you all today. I love you all, and I wish you all a wonderful week until we meet again here next week. I wish your week to be full of open and productive and curious conflict. Um, And until we meet again here next week, ciao. Hey, thank you for listening in this week. I hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive the newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. Ratings, reviews, and comments are always appreciated. These allow me to know more of what my listeners would like in the podcast and allow for more people who may be searching for a podcast just like this one to find the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, then please visit my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that is www.slch.ch. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at sethlusk underscore coaching. Again, that is sethlusk underscore coaching. And on Facebook and my free Facebook group community called A Healthy Life Connection. We would love to have you in the group, and it's only three membership questions that you have to answer to join. And again, it's entirely free. And if you need any further information or just want to say hello, feel free to send me an email directly at slusk.health at slch.ch. Again, that is slusk.health at slch.ch. Thank you again so much for listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Ciao.